Chapter 23. For most people in Brooklyn, the morning of August 28, 1961 was just another bright, hot summer morning. But for us at the Teen Challenge Center, the day was dark. That noon, we were supposed to hand over a certified check to the holders of our second mortgage. The amount needed was $15,000. How much money do we have in the bank? I asked Paul Delina. I don't even want to tell you. How much? $14. I had been counting so much on another miracle somehow. In my heart, I had confidence that we weren't going to lose the center. And yet here we were at our deadline, and there was no money. Noon came and went, and still, there was no miracle. I had to ask myself serious questions about my own confidence. Was it just self-delusion? Had I expected too much of God without doing enough myself? At least, I said to Julius Freed, our attorney, I'm not going down without a scrap. Could you arrange for an extension? Julius spent the afternoon poring over documents and signing papers, and when he had finished his day's work, he announced that he had succeeded in getting an extension. <coughs> they agreed to wait until September 10th, David, Julius said. But if the money isn't in their hands by that time, they will start foreclosure proceedings. Do you have any ideas? Yes, I said, and Julius's face lit up, but it fell again when I explained just what that idea was. I'm going to pray about it, <coughs> I said. Julius was accustomed to the praying ways of the center, but at that moment I think he wished for a director who was a little more practical. That afternoon I did a rather brash thing. I called all the young people together, gang members, drug addicts, college boys and girls, staff members, and told them that the center was safe. It was a great rejoicing. I think we ought to go into the chapel and thank God, I said. So we did. We went in, closed the doors, and praised the Lord for having saved this home for his use. Finally, someone looked up and asked, Say, David, where'd the money come from? Oh, it hasn't come yet. Twenty-five blank expressions, twenty-five frozen smiles. It hasn't come in yet, I went on. But before September 10th, the money will be in our hands, I'm sure. By that date, I'll have a check for 15000 to show you. I just thought we ought to thank God ahead of time. And with that, I walked out. September 1st came. September 2nd. 3rd, 4th. I spent a great deal of time on the telephone, seeing if I could find a solution to our problem. Every sign pointed to his wanting us to continue our work. The summer had been rather successful. Our records showed that 2,500 young people all over New York had made a real contact with love. They had turned their lives over to Christ. Hundreds of boys and girls had poured through the center on their way to new jobs, to new outlooks, to creativity. Twelve were actually preparing for the ministry. And it all started with that picture in life, I said to Gwen one night as we were reviewing the year. Isn't it strange that you've never been allowed to see those boys from the trial, said Gwen. It was strange. I'd written, telephoned, knocked on doors for nearly four years, but for reasons beyond my comprehension, I was never allowed to work closely with the very boys whose tragedy had brought me to New York in the first place. Their fate and the fate of Israel, ex-president of the Mau Mau's, remained, for a while at least, in the hands of the state. Perhaps when the boys were released from prison, I would be allowed to tell them about the concern that was still in my heart for their futures. There was a boy, however, from those very first days in New York whose life still touched mine, Angelo Morales. One morning, Angelo came to visit us. Together, we relived that first day when he bumped into me on the stairs outside Luis Alvarez's father's apartment, and now Angelo himself was about to graduate from seminary. He, too, would be working with me at the center. If there is a center, Angelo, I said, sharing with him our financial problems. Is there anything I can do? Angelo asked. Yes, get into the chapel with the others and pray. While you are praying, we'll be on the phone. Every member of our board was busy making telephone calls to old friends of the center. Help came in, but never in the quantity needed to meet the $15,000 note on September 10th. Among the telephone calls was one to Clem Stone's office in Chicago. 
Harold Bredesen placed it, admitting openly that he was a little embarrassed. Clem had already been more than generous with the center. We tried to keep him in close touch with the progress of our work at all times, not just when we needed money. But I suspect that when Clem heard a call was coming from the Teen Challenge Center, his natural instinct was to place a quick, protecting hand over his wallet. It was Clem's son whom Harold reached on the telephone September 8th. They had a long talk. Harold told about the work that had been accomplished already, and he thanked the Stones for their part in that. Then, with a shrug, he finally got to the point. We've got to have 15,000 by day after tomorrow, he said, and he explained why. I have no idea what your position is at this moment, and I'm certainly not going to ask for a decision while you're on the telephone. But talk this over with your father. Tell him thanks for what he's already done to help. And then let's just see what happens. September the 10th arrived. The morning mail came. We opened it eagerly. There were envelopes from children sending in their pennies. Thank you, Lord, I said. We couldn't do without these pennies. And that was all. The morning chapel service began. Everyone was gathered. Everyone prayed and sang. Here and there I heard our young people still thanking God for sending us the check for 15000 In the middle of the service I was called to the door. It was a special delivery. I looked at the postmark, Chicago, Illinois. I opened the envelope and inside was a certified check for exactly $15,000. I couldn't talk when I took that piece of paper into the chapel. I stood before the fireplace with a sheaf of harvested wheat and bass relief on the mantel. I couldn't talk. So... I just held up my hand for silence, and when the room was quiet, Paul Delena handed the check to the young boy nearest me. Pass that around, will you please? Paul said almost inaudibly. The canceled check, which Clemstone now has in his files in Chicago, tells a mute story of the wonderful leading of God among young people in New York City. It is properly endorsed, properly deposited, but it is more than that. If you look closely at that check, you will see that it is stained it is really quite grubby from having passed through the hands of two dozen youngsters who have learned what it is to believe. And perhaps there are a few tear stains on it too. Tears of gratitude to a God who moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform.